Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Have you ever felt obsessed about something for no apparent reason? I mean, you just didn't know why you liked this specific thing. And it really wasn't coming from you. You could have been put under a spell. And in today's episode, Sal Santoro, the owner of the Crooked Path in Burbank, is going to be talking about spell casting. Yes, this is our belated Halloween episode, and this year I was kind of late, you know, but who doesn't want Halloween all year long, right? I mean, I was a little busy channeling Galileo, or I should say he was channeling me. <laughs> I hope you guys will enjoy this episode. It's going to be tons of fun, but first, a word from our sponsor. sequels. Some of them are good. Most of them are bad. But on the Sequels Revenge podcast, we're here to celebrate all things sequels. Host John Coulomb and Bill Posley bring on a guest to talk about their favorite movies, and then we pitch a sequel to it. It's a sequel that nobody asked for, but one that we'd like to see. Then we go away, write the first five pages to the sequel, bring in a table of actors to read it. So if any of this sounds appealing to you, you should download Sequels Revenge podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play stores. Welcome to the show, Sal Santoro. Hi, how are you doing today? Well, so, Sal, what did you dress up as as a kid during Halloween? What was your costume? Paul Stanley from Kiss. (laughs) I love it. I love Paul Stanley. (laughs) He was like one of my heroes. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. My mom used to dress me as a witch when I was a kid all the time. Like she was a seamstress, but she would let out the costume every year. So every year it was my witch costume. Mm-hmm. So, which will segue us into what you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into witchcraft and running the Crooked Path in Burbank, which is a super cool shop. I love that shop. Um, it started for me um, back in New England where I grew up, um, I very early in life really wanted to know more about the occult and witchcraft. And I had a best friend that I grew up with. Um, and, you know, when you're, when you're a kid in the seventies, you know, there's not much to do except for, you know, go to the woods, climb trees, throw rocks at windows, chase girls at the mall or witchcraft and, uh, and punk rock, you know, or, or music, you know? So, you know, very quickly, uh, we just became enthralled with the occult and tried to get as much knowledge as we could with the limited amount of, you know, ways of getting it we had available. I mean, it was pre-internet. And, you know, you, you, you couldn't just walk into a bookstore and get witchcraft books. It wasn't like that, you know. I think that the younger generation just, they probably don't even think about it in reality. But, I mean... It, it was not always like it is now. Even in the in the 80s and the 90s, more than 90s, it was just starting to become, oh, look, we're going to Walden Books, and there's the metaphysical section. 
you know, um, it wasn't like that in the 70s and early 80s. Um, if you wanted to get a topic on witchcraft, you would go to the library and the library would only give you some siphoned point of view on, you know, historical documentation or historical documentation on what happened during the witch trials here in America, especially being in, from New England, um, you know, that came up. Um, but very, very little did you hear about, like, the witch cult of America, you know? And uh, Also during that time, you know, the early 80s, we were really getting into the satanic panic. Right. Um, Tipagore and people like that. Um, so they, they threw their own spin on it. And I really think that it became really um, available for the first time through, like, MTV because MTV was birthed, you know, by 85, 84. And, uh, you know, you'd see Motley Crue running around with a big pentagram on their bass drum. And, you know, and that was the beginning of like, what people are like, what does that mean? And, you know, so people started searching and this is where you got people getting a lot of like, you know, false information that they were starving for. So I, I really think that it didn't get strong uh, with information until, the end of the 80s into like the first three or four years of the 90s. And that is so interesting because in the 70s and maybe 80s, there was a lot of witch stuff on television. Like there was Bewitched, which I mean, it was whitewashed. Yeah, 60s, 70s, yeah. Right? Still, there was a lot of, you know, and I remember as a kid, I was so into witch stuff like Wizard of Oz, you know, Mm -hmm. and the Wicked Witch, the Good Witch and the Bad Witch. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I was very, very drawn to learning more about witches. And we would play, like, yeah. you're the good witch, you're the bad witch, as children. And it was, I guess, very intuitive. I don't know, you know, or it was just in the consciousness because of what was on television. I mean, even the Bugs Bunny cover, uh, cartoons had a lot of witch stuff in them. Sure. Sure. I mean, that that for sure was going on in little little snippets, but, you know... It was always, um, you know, the media's perspective on 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 witchcraft. Then, right. you know, the first when I think of the early witchcraft for me, besides the uh, be, besides like Bewitched, um, Escape from Witch Mountain, yes, in the seventies, you know, that right. whole concept Disney had was kind of okay, you know. But I mean, right away, you, you I I'm a very you know, point and shoot kind of a guy. So like, I wanted results. I wanted answers as to what was, what's going on, what witchcraft really was, not how they systematically repressed people with less money than them and for political gain or gain of their family farms and, you know, real estate and Goody Proctor and the witch trials of Massachusetts. That very much had nothing to do with witchcraft. That had to do with repression of people, you know, of, of a people. Um, but true witchcraft, getting getting involved in uh, it from that perspective, didn't come till I really came to to California. I mean, the only book that I remember really getting was um, Alistair Crowley's work. Yeah, on ceremonial magic, and um, there was a book that was. I think it was still coming from a Christian perspective. It was called uh, Witchcraft and Satanism. 
or something like that. I think it was Cavendish that did it. Mm -hmm. And it was still a, you know, devil worship women, you know, it's that same bullshit. Um, so when I, when I got to Los Angeles, I quickly joined a coven. I, I, I seeked out what, you know, what it was that I was looking for and got training in what then what was considered Wicca. Um, I did um, what was called a year and a day with a group out of Eye of the Cat called the DCW or the Druid Craft of the Wise. And um, after I did that, I moved on and did the same thing with another gentleman in Orange County. And then after that, I joined the Golden Dawn. Oh, yeah. About two years later. And then about two years after that, I went and I worked at my first occult shop, which was Panpipes. Where is that? Panpipes was the oldest occult shop on the, on the West Coast. Um, and actually, that's not entirely true because I interned at I the Cat, which was in Long Beach. So there was two, two known um, occult shops back in the day. There was I the Cat in Long Beach, and there was Panpipes. And then the lesser known shops at that point were the House of the Hermetic, on Colorado Boulevard in Eagle Rock. And then down in Santa Monica, there was a place called the Sorcerer's Shop with a woman named Babette. And um, so those I were pretty much- Eagle Rock. I've never heard of the House of the Hermetic. Where was that? It was literally, you know where, do you live there now? No, no, my parents no. do. Do you know where Spork is? Sworks, yeah. Sworks. It's one door in on the right from there going east on Colorado. How interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Forbes used to be a pharmacy. Yeah, kids. right next door to the pharmacy was, was it. That, that's a perfect place for it, huh? How interesting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, was, it was pretty known, but it was a lot of ceremonial magicians. Um, wow. Were medicists and things like that. They stayed away from, you know, witchcraft, and they were more into hermetics. But, you know, you could go there and get some products. So that was kind of cool. Um, so that's where I, you know, I started. Then when I went to Panpipes, I... I really got a lot of training um, from the man that owned it then. And uh, right around that same time, um, the movie The Craft was coming out uh -huh. with Feruza Balk. And Feruza was also being trained by my mentor, was her mentor as well. And she ended up buying Panpipes after the movie became a success. And um, this is where I initially met Greg. Oh, yeah. Um, Greg, Greg <laughs> was technically one of my bosses there. He was like the day manager. And um, it was George and Greg. And then I was the kid that was like sweeping up the store and putting out the candles, you know, and all that, all the, the stuff you do as, as a, a young kid in a business. Yeah, and, an intern. You know, yeah, basically. yeah, an intern. And I just worked my butt off and they, they kicked my ass a lot. And uh, from there, I, I left. And by 99... 98 to like 2001 I joined uh, up with Raven's Flight because the people that owned Raven's Flight used to own a store in North Hollywood prior to that called Screaming Kings oh, and yeah and that was owned by Thomas and Raven then they opened up this little witch store because at Screaming Kings she used to make her little witchy oils and sell them at this, this clothing store this greaser kind of Rocky Billy store and then the transfer moved over by the mid nineties and to the late nineties and she opened Raven's Flight. Is that Raven Grimasi? 
No, really? no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> yeah. It's a woman. Raven Kamasi passed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, no, Raven is still alive. Raven Womack. Um, we carry all her incense now. Oh, cool. And um, this is how, during this time, Raven's flight was going, and it, it started out as this little gingerbread house on Vineland Avenue, and Holly Vineland Avenue in Magnolia. And it, we sold herbs and oils, and I interned there and tried to get into their coven. And um, then right around that time, they had a man come in uh, who was you know, new to the area, and he, be, he brought in his tradition, and he turned out to be Griffin from mm -hmm. Green Man. Um, but this is pre-Green Man. So when Raven's flight was moving forward, but it ended by 2002, and then Green Man was born out of that. And then they started their own store in North Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And then, then 10 years later, I opened up the Crooked Path. Yeah. Very cool. So you talked about the occult. The occult really just means hidden, hidden knowledge, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, people always think that the occult means something woo-woo, something scary, spooky, something, you know, that sure. it tells us that is bad. Yeah. Well, I think a lot, I, I addressed this on, actually on my, uh, I, have a, I have an internet-based show that comes off of YouTube. So you can every week live, we have a show. And um, I was discussing this, actually. Um, you know, I think a lot of people got the term occult mixed with cult. Yes. And they lumped it in as the same thing. You're right. It very much does mean hidden knowledge. It's knowledge that's out of sight you know, out of plain view. And it's our way of, you know, of, 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 it's esoteric knowledge. Not that it's just hidden, but it's hidden in the fact that it's an esoteric system. And it's almost like dated, you know what I mean? And um, with, within the old knowledge, like alchemy. Yes. Um, and this, these type of systems come from there. Um, for sure, that's where the occult, you know, comes in, right? Um, and I think a lot of people are like cult because you got to remember by this in, in our lifetime, I'm, I'm sure you're a bit younger than me, but still in that same time frame, you're looking at the seventies. And if you were a child of the seventies, cults were a craze. Yep. Jim I Jones. I was born in 73 in yeah. the height of the cult craze. Yeah. I had Jim an astrology Jones. read. Yep. I had I was born, boom, right into that. Sure. <laughs> So this is where they started lumping all that into play. But, you know, there was a lot of occult knowledge in, in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s. You know, you had people like Kenneth Anger, who was doing, like, the inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, I think, in 59, which is a great movie. And his, you know, it was then, you know, Marjorie Cameron was very involved in that, in that work, who was with, with uh, Jack Parsons, you know. And oh, she yes, became, Jack Parsons. <laughs> pretty known in that role. So now yes. there's a degree of separation between Jack Parsons, Marjorie Cameron, Kenneth Anger as a ceremonial magician, and some sometimes he was practicing some aspects of Levian Satanism. You know, and um this is where we started getting like inauguration of Pleasure Dome. Then uh Lucifer Rising was going on. Marianne Faithful was in that movie. Um some uh Bobby Beausoleil from the Manson family was in the movie. 
they say that Anton LaVey was in it, but they, there's no proof of that. Um, but, you know, he opened up that realm at the, birth, the very beginning of the 70s, the end of the 60s, you know, because everything that was going on in America socially, we were, we were dealing with the, you know, first we were dealing with coming out of McCarthyism and everybody being a communist to coming, coming into uh, Peace Pot and Microdot. There was a Vietnam War, people were fighting it, ban the bra, you know, burn the bra, kind of like burn your draft, right. kind of dodging young kids running around smoking a lot of pot, taking a lot of mescaline and, and enjoying rock and roll. And there was a great movement there. So within that movement, there was obviously going to be the antithesis of the hippie movement, which is where Anton LaVey came into play. Right. You know, because he's like, fucking hippies are all over my lawn. I don't want that. He lives in San Francisco. So he birthed the Church of Satan out of that. But at the same time that was going on, Starhawk was writing the spiral dance. And that was all about the Dianic Wiccan movement, you know, and, and, and the birth of feminist witchcraft, which is a beautiful thing, right? Um, but as that's going on, you know, he's running over it, you know, at his, his house in San Francisco and professing to be, you know, calling Satan by doing psychodramas. <laughs> right. and, uh, I actually saw a documentary with, uh, what is her name? Um, Zena? No, it was a documentary about the actress, the blonde actress. I, I think her last name Jane was Mansfield. Jane, Mans Jane Mansfield. Yes, because she got decapitated. Well, she didn't get decapitated. It was she a wig. Scalped. Yes. Yeah. It was actually a wig. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't a scalping. And actually, her daughter is the lead on uh, SVU. Oh, really? Interesting. That's right. Yeah, that, you think that, I that's her that? daughter. Yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, so her wig came off. <laughs> that was what that was. It was a big refund. In the documentary, the they showed that it, she was actually scalped. Really? Because so it, there it, was a lot it, of play on that because Anton LeBay was like, they say that Anton cursed her and he tore a picture yes, of her and it yes, came off. Yes. You know, when you talk to the LeBay family, it's not the way they make it out at all. You know, I mean, I, I, I've got to meet members of that family. I got to meet Anton LaVey before he died. Uh, really great man. Really super nice guy. He's, he's a bit of a carny and a jokester. Kind he of looks like, like and it. Yeah. And, from, kind of, yeah. and in the movie, that's how they portrayed him as. They didn't portray yeah. him as a satanic guy. They portrayed him yeah. as more of a a carny. Like he was a showman, you know? Yeah. And so it, it was just like going to watch a show. It was very yeah. interesting. Um, since we were talking about like, the curse and spell casting, uh, which I think is very interesting because I feel, and I told you before uh, we started recording, I was talking to Greg and I had gone into your shop and we were talking about spell casting a little bit. And he told me that someone challenged him to cast a spell. And um, he told the man, he's like, you're impotent. <laughs> Which works on, it is funny. I mean, it works on more of a belief system, true. Because then if that guy really believes that Greg cast a spell on him and told him he was impotent, me, can he really just go ahead and believe that he's impotent? And now he's impotent, right? Mm -hmm. But is that how people cast spells? I mean, we've seen it now with the coronavirus on everybody's fear and panicked and ha are in these loops of fear, which is actually making them go crazy, you know? Uh, so 
in spell casting, like you said, you cast spells for people. Like, what do you do? And That's the majority does, of my life. Yeah, and, and how does that work? Like, with do you have to have a belief system in it? Does mechanisms that I use for spellcraft? Do I believe spellcraft works? Yes. Do I believe it? It's a strong affirmation. No. Um, I believe that you know, and some people can call me crazy. Um, and you know, I, I only go so far and then I, I seen your work work. I mean, we can't call you crazy because if you have outcomes, it's like you're a researcher. You're like, I did this and I saw what the outcome is, you know, Mm -hmm. as a scientist does, you know, scientists aren't crazy. you're, You're in a way like a scientist where you are doing spell work and how does that go ahead? I don't believe that, you know, like when I think being an active witch, um, first of all, we, I mean, I'm going to have to back up because to get into spellcraft, it's going to take me, I have to start here. Um, First of all, what is a witch? A lot of people have their views on that. Um, A lot of people see them as people that follow an agriculturally based faith that believe in the duality of feminine and masculine deity that, that, that are worshipped. Sometimes they believe that aspects of those deities come down within them. Um, there are different pantheons that they go to. They don't have to necessarily even match. It could be Jesus and it could be Kali, however odd that might sound. Right. You, know, you, you create it to what you feel. Um, but this is where, what, we ha- where we, what we have that's called Wicca. You know, Wicca was developed in, in 50, technically 56, but really became moving in 59 by Gerald Gardner. Um, and he took constructs of the pagan religions. And then he also brought in knowledge of um, ceremonial magical systems like uh, from people like Dion Fortune and people like Crowley and McGregor Mathers and all the people that were kind of in the Golden Dawn structure. And he brought their, their ceremonial constructs and kind of broke them down, made them a little simple and easy to take across the palette. And then brought in the pagan gods of old and built a system out of that. And in that system, it, a couple things happened. Um, one, it was said that these, these are the wick, the wise, the ones who shape or bend. Um, this is where wicca, they say the root of yeah. wicca comes from. Okay. Um, there's a couple of variations on that. Um, but they, they also said, now these people are also the healers and the midwives. And, you know, in, in, in pagan Europe, when people were still tribally based, there was an elder in that, in that, in that group that you go to if you had a toothache or if you had, you know, rheumatism or whatever the situation may be, right? And also they may feel that their crops were blighted and they need a better harvest this year. So they were the end all answer because they didn't have a computer, you know what I mean? That was where you went. So with that, in the, in, by the end of the 50s, this is where they took the construct of what a witch would be to them in their religion. religion religious perspective of Wicca, right? Now that's one way of looking at witchcraft. Witchcraft also is a person that uses certain components elementally and planetarily 
to bend will and bend things to your will to get the outcome to change to your favor. That's spellcraft. Okay. Now, first off, it, being a person that does that doesn't necessarily mean that person has has to be Wiccan. They could be Christian. They could be agnostic. They could be Muslim. Okay. And just because that person is crafting spell, that doesn't mean that they're psychics or seers or have all the clairs intact where they're audience sentient clairvoyant. Um, a lot of this stuff gets lumped into one space, but that's not necessarily what a witch is. Um, in, in, the, in the term that I, I see it as, I am a witch. I don't believe that a witch is a gender. It's not, it's not a binary term. There's not, oh, she's a witch, he's a warlock. That's just media. Right. There, is no, there is no gender to witchcraft. It's just the act of. So when you get into spellcraft, not so much from the religious vein, but from causing change with will, what are you doing? Well, I like to see it as the science. I, and, and not science doesn't always work exactly. Science is development, right? And you can't always be 100% on everything that goes on. That's why when you get an operation, the odds are not always going to be 100%. You're going to make it through and you're going to go exactly. play tennis next week. Yeah, All they right? have to sign a consent. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, spellcraft is exactly that. You, you work with your system. Okay, so what is that system? For me, how I see it is, first of, first of all, it's Ptolemaically based. So um, the constructs of the foundation that I use is Ptolemy, the, the planetary influences that Ptolemy believed all the planets had in association with the days of the week and where the planets sit during those days of the week. The seven ancient planets, not the other three, because the other three are macrocosmic. They're outside of a daily week. They're further out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're, we're attaching to the planets that are moving around us in a lot closer view. Kind of like the moon reacts to the ocean waves. Right, Hold. and it's kind of like astrology. Yeah. Astrology, but gets into the other planets, though. And, and that's one of the one things you, you learn about, about magic is like, to us, the modern planets are considered eras in time. They're there, and you can utilize them to a degree, but they're not going to influence your daily life like Mercury is mm. or like Jupiter is. Right. Okay. So you, you, you time it on the day that you're trying to do the work in accordance with the things that you're trying to, to get. Let's hypothetically say um, communication, art, literary works, contracts, you know, anything communicated, technology, this is Mercury. Right. So if your spell has something to do with getting contracts signed, you want to work in the Mercury day. Mm -hmm. So once you get the day pinned down, now you bring in associative herbs and oils that will also correlate to that day or a day that can fit in with the scheme of what you're trying to do. Now, 
if you're trying to get communication because you want to get the contract signed because in the larger scope of things, you're trying to bring in more, more money into your life, right? You would also bring in a little bit of Jupiter because Jupiter is prosperity and it's expansion. So you tap in to bring in some Jupiterian herbs and oils and offset it on the mercurial work that you're doing, bringing those things together. And then you work with that lighting at a certain time. So that's the basics of how I do spellcraft. Um, that's not all that I do. This is just what I'm sharing with you. I mean, there, it goes way deeper than that. Um, I can get into parasigillum. I can work with plant, you know, the seals. I can work with angelic form. I can work with um, certain, certain key sounds, battery, tonality mixed with tonality is one of the ones i've been studying lately tonality yeah because of yeah, resonant tone right yeah uh, uh tones in people's voices like i know when people shift you know i know when something is up with their personality or there is maybe something that's not right with them that's going on you know uh we it, we're associated it's, with tone. Like, it's also what we associate with tone, you know, yeah. because that's what we were taught as children. But when we use tone in ritual, especially when you start getting into high magic or ceremonial magic, when we're using words and we're saying words like iore bohe, you know, these things, this is coming from the diaphragm and you're speaking it because you want to attach to the aether and what that's doing. So, so along with the planetary magic, what I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to affect the astral plane to get it to mimic what we want on the physical plane. Yeah. We want it to be reflective of one another. That which is above is that which is below, it's right? Below, if right. If you can get it to work on the above and then it manifests on the material, then the spell is working. Yes. And this is how, so it's part of that science, but then you also have to deal with the subconscious mind. You know, and when you start talking about the subconscious mind, what is it that, how do we, how do we use that? You know, because... I mean, most most people are taught by the time they're in high school that we use six to eight percent of the of the of our brain, right? And, and they're already the programmed from yeah. zero to seven. They already have their beliefs programmed in them from society, yeah. church, their parents, and all of that. So and morals, and dogmas, and all that. Sure, exactly. You know, so when you're looking at the uh, the conscious, you know, I always tell people, you know, what do we do with that? We eat, we sleep, we drink. We shit, we piss, we fuck, and we die. These are what we are using this for, to get through our life now. But all behind us is of the gods. And that's what the magician and the witch are trying to tap into. So exactly. to me, when I see it that way, I see the wall between the conscious and the subconscious as a, an aperture on a camera lens. It's my job as the, as the witch to get the aperture to open up enough to expose what I want here to come through and then re-manifest on the physical, yes. which is the aperture. And I teach that through my storytelling classes, you know, and in really looking at what your story is too and what you're saying, mm -hmm. then you can really switch that and, and just reprogram yourself as well. But it's wild how it happens. I mean, I was walking in those fields the other day 
and I was looking for some paper, uh, uh, stationery, and stationery is hard to find. And I walked into one store and I asked the woman, do you have any stationery? And she said, no. And I literally turn around and let me see if I, I have the paper here. And I found stationery and it said on the stationery, it says, not today, Satan. And I was like, oh, well, this is the perfect, I go, you do have stationery, you know? And, <laughs> and I had to pen a letter to someone and I was like, this is a perfect stationery. And I penned a letter and I sent it, but it's really interesting. So I told the woman, I was like, do you feel sometimes that your life is like a screenplay? And she said, no, never. And so one of my friends said, who is a, metaphys a metaphysician, she's like, oh, that woman's asleep, you know? So my whole point to this story is when you are a witch and when you are creating a conscious creator with, with uh, in witchcraft, you have to be in casting spells, right? You should be conscious of what you're doing because if you're not, you could really mess things up, right? Yeah. I mean, witchcraft is like a gun, you know? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. It is. It's witchcraft is like a gun. It's like a weapon. It's like it. You know, I I say this almost so much that I, I feel like I've I've said it too much on different with different people, but to me, witchcraft is like like if I if if I'm sitting in front of you and I pull out a forty caliber semi-automatic, you know, and rack it and put it around in the chamber and put it on your countertop, it's going to sit there until you pick it up. But when you pick it up, what's going to happen? Do you know how to? Do you know how to decock it, hold the round right. out, drop the magazine and make it safe? Or is it going to go off, go through the wall and into somebody across in another room? This is witchcraft. You, if, you, if you don't know what you're doing with witchcraft, you, you, you need to learn because you are playing with the real stuff. It's of the gods. It, it, it works. And you're not going to get your answers on Instagram. It's, it's, you know, this is the problem with people. You have to really, you know, I have been studying like metaphysics, lots of stuff, shamanism, tons of, tons of quantum physics, lots of stuff mm -hmm. for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I go way deep. I consult people on the other side of the world, you know, uh, I have friends all over, but it's interesting when you gather all this information you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, I just read it and I know it and I can practice it. But you have to go way deep sometimes. Well, this is the problem. I think one of the main problems with, I don't want to say kids today because I hate them. <laughs> I, no, I but kids like, that, today. You know, that kids guy that's yelling at me to get off his like Kids you know, today want it like this. No, they yeah, want, but it's so they hard to say out. that because, you know, I am, I am from a different time now. And. I, I, when I was a kid and the guy's like, get off my lawn, I, I shit on his lawn. You know, I didn't, I didn't care, you know, so don't piss me off. I love young people. I love what they have to offer. And I think that they're amazing individuals. Um, but, and it's not their fault because you know what, if we grew up in the seventies and we had that media in our fingertips, we would be doing the same damn thing. I wouldn't have been at the fucking Nashua, excuse my French, Nashua public library in the town I grew up. I wouldn't be going there. I'd be going on the internet, pulling down what I need. But what has happened with that is it's diluted the work because people, it's not so much that they're pulling off the internet, but it's that they can copy and paste sections in wherever they want it. Right. You know, and that, that editing process has dumbed a lot down because, you know, people are like coming in and, oh, I need to do this, this, this. I need a book of spells. I sell spell books at my store. 
But I dissuade people from getting them half the time because I want them to work. You yeah. Know? Get foundation. The problem with witchcraft right now is people are, when more, more, more times than not, you're going to have somebody tell you that they're eclectic. But eclecticism is no excuse for sloppiness. When you're, a, when you're an eclectic person or an eclectic person in the craft, that means you have at least two foundations of ritual magic under your belt from years of training. And then you're pulling off those and creating a unit that you can work in. But when you don't have foundation and you're just building this thing, there's nothing holding it together. And that's where chaos hits. It's very you know, fascinating. That, that's with that. Yeah. When I used to work at children's hospital, they had the pain team and the pain team was uh, called the magic pain team and they spelled magic M A G I C K. Yes. So it was very interesting. And I would bring up and I'd be like, Oh, are they witches? And people would be like, what, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, when you spell M A G I C K pain service, that's like a coven of witches, you know, well, what are they doing? I, I mean, are they spell casting? I thought it was very interesting, but I think the woman who started, who brought the name into the group, she's a nurse practitioner. She also started the pet therapy program, which is interesting because it's like having a familiar, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's still the name of the pain service, but I always found it very interesting. And I brought this to people's consciousness and people thought I was nuts. You know, I was like, well, look it up. You know, this was in 2007 when I worked there and I, I worked there for about seven years or so. But is witchcraft practiced in hospitals, in corporations, in all these fields? Are you asking me that? Yes, I'm asking you that um, question. Um, that, I, I can't answer that with any certainty because I, um, I'll be honest with you, medical people scare the hell out of me <laughs> um, almost to the point where, I mean, I, I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but like the last time I was in a doctor's office was 72. I don't blame you. Medical people scare me too. <laughs> and yeah. I'm a medical but, person. So I don't really know that answer. Are there witches? I'm sure there are. I mean, to what degree? I don't know. Um, I don't know, you know, if they're neo-pagan. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of people that are lawyers, doctors, police officers, nurses, Sure, there are Wiccan people. Are there people that practice witchcraft in their own? Probably. I don't know if they're using witchcraft in their practice at at the place. I don't know. Yeah. That's a, that that's a that's kind of a hard one to nail down. Um, but the the K that you're talking about, I see where you're going with that. Um, that was actually developed by Crowley. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, the K came in because it was his way of delineating. That's where you got the term high magic. Huh. And um, okay. magic with a K was was his way of not not like pigeoning, you know, pigeonholing it and making it his. But that was usually where he, whenever you heard magic with a K, that was usually people that were stepping more into ceremonial magic. I know a lot of witches today. Um, Scarlett Amaris, who is one of my dear friends and a fellow practitioner, when I do ritual, we work together. Um, but she refuses to put the K in front of magic. She, she, but I won't, I, I won't not do that. I'm always putting the K in front of it because uh -huh. to me it makes sense. But this is, 
you know, I've also got a background in ceremonial magic. And um, I think that when they were doing this also, you know, Crowley wanted to, and people like of that vein wanted people to understand that this was an esoteric system, not slide of hand or prestidigitation. Right. That's why they use that, you know. Interesting. Well, this yeah. has been a very interesting discussion. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, your shop is in Burbank. Let's uh, tell people about your shop and where they can find you and your YouTube channel. Sure. Um, the, the shop is um, sitting right in the middle of Burbank, California. It's uh, 2020 West Magnolia. It's called the Crooked Path. Right now, because of, you know, the world that we're in, it's all about, you know, safety. So we have our masks on. When you, everybody has to have, to have one when they come in. As soon as you come in the door, we give you gloves, um, nitro gloves that you have to wear. So when you're touching things in the store, you're safe and we're safe. Um, we're open 12 to 6 every day, except for a Sunday, we're open 12 to 5. I, myself, am there Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Tuesday and Sundays, I have two other practitioners working. Um, and that would be uh, Becca on Tuesdays and Greg on, sun, on Sundays. And my wife, Poppy, is, is often there, and she answers a lot of questions herself. So, you know, we're all there to help each other, you know, and help people do that. Uh, you know, one of the main focuses of my store, for me anyways, is I want people to be able to come in the store and sit down and ask questions. I'm not worried about yeah. them, you know, how much they're buying or if they're buying. I mean, I mean, of course, I hope they would. It would be a good thing. But, you know, that's not my focus. My focus is to give knowledge to people. And um, always remember, while I'm, while I'm here, um, my views are my views. That doesn't mean they're concrete. It doesn't mean that they're all answers. This is how I perceive and how I live my life. And you can take what you want from that. All I ask is that you study and, and try to get your foundations. I think um, that's but, a great point. I just want to, um, I, I forgot to ask this before because you're Italian. I'm Italian. Yeah. You have your, you have your horn on. I see it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's on there. Um, I, I know uh, when, my grandmother was a healer, so I, I, she may have been a form of a witch. You know, people used to go to her for different things um, and uh, would do healings. I mean, a lot of my family do not talk about her um, very much, uh, but I remember my mother telling me stories about that. Any of, um, and, and I know in Italian culture, it, you know, there's like uh, the, the malocchio, which is the evil eye, and then I saw someone on Instagram on an Italian channel. She was trying to take off a curse off of a, a basketball player with some oil. It was hilarious. Uh -huh. I mean, anything like that that you grew up with in your household? Oh, I mean, numerous. I mean, first of all, if you grew up in Boston, you know, you wore a, you wore a crucifix, a St. Christopher medal, and then you wore... You wore, you wore the hand and the horns. The horns, yes. You know? right. And that's actually, if you can see, that's what's on here. Uh -huh. So what, there it is. There's the hand right there. Right, yes, yes. And I read Coronuto. Right that's right. Yes, the horn. But behind it is the Simaruta. And this is um, Italian witchcraft. Oh. So what you've got is the moon of Diana. You've got the fish, which symbolizes the male energy. You've got the key of Hecate. And the whole thing is a sprig of rue. Oh, how interesting. Now, that's, what, that's what most witches wear that are Italian, are, 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 are radiatic. People that work with a radiata, Diana, 
Um, but I'm Hecatean, but I, I definitely stay with, with my lineage on that. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, my, when I was a little boy, my Aunt Angie wouldn't let me out of the house if I didn't have a big red ribbon on because it protected from the evil eye. You know, there was always things like that. And, uh, you know, my wife's culture, you know, they're, they're straight from Greece. And it's very, very prominent. And when you go to Greece, you see so much. You see those the evil eyes everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. And, um, they know a lot about that. My and my mother-in-law is amazing at removing evil eye, and she's got a great system. And she even knows when we have it, and she'll she'll check with us. You know, and they're in Canada, so you know. But she does a great a great ritual, and it works. It helps. Wow. It, it's helped us multiple times. Um, so definitely, it's there. You know, culturally, we we all have witchcraft in our culture. No matter what you want to call it, whether it be stregaria, brujaria, you know, sorcery, right. witchcraft, it's 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 around. Right. In the Mexican culture. Yeah, as well. I get lots of patients in with their little red bracelets, the evil right. eye bracelets, and all of that. That's how I started on this path, just looking at the occult um mm. in knowledge, because a lot of my patients were coming in with this, you know, and the the brujas or the curanderas were giving them all kinds of stuff to do. And so I was like, what is this? You know, I wanted to know just to relate to my patients and not say it's bad. Don't use it. You know, I think that's a really terrible thing to say and just be yeah. open to so anyone. Cool. So um, the only other thing I'd like to say before I go is um, I'm really proud of right now is Myself and Renee Watt, who is the head tarot leader at the Crooked Path, um, she goes by uh, Rainbow Glitter Star on Instagram. Uh, she's got she's got her own show, her own podcast. But we've we've come together and we've started a new live streaming show every Thursday at seven o'clock on YouTube. And then we transfer what we've done live stream and we've recorded it so you can watch it on the channel. And we've also taken all the you know vocally everything we've done we've turned that into a podcast so now it's on different formats and you can find this first and foremost on youtube and it's it's called betwixt the shadows oh that's b-e-t-w-i-x-t the shadows and you can find that on instagram facebook um youtube they're they're all across across the board I have people write in every week on any of those formats with questions about what to answer this coming week. And we try to get to those questions. And sometimes people will answer live because we have a whole crew that is sending us, so-and-so wants to know how to do this spell. And then I'll just answer it right there. So it's, it's just cool. an informative talk show. Very and uh, I, it's, yeah, so every Thursday night, 7 p.m. live on YouTube, Betwixt the Shadows. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been tons of fun. Thank you. All right. All right. And thank you, Nurses and Hypochondriacs. Till next time. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses and Hypocon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. <laughs>